0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, Life in the Sun. How's everybody? Everybody awake? Good going? Man, Such beautiful faces this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the leaders here at Life in the Sun and welcome to Life in the Sun this morning. So I just have one quick question. How many people like going to the doctor? <laughs> we have some hands, right? Because we're gonna have different reactions, right? Like, like for myself, I'm like, oh no, I can handle this at home. I'll take my vitamin C, I'll do whatever I gotta do, right? I am not gonna go to the doctor. Because it's, you know, for some of us, when we go to the doctor, it's like, they always find something else than what you're there for, right? Amen? <laughs> but then some of us are like, man, I've got an itch. I've got to go to the doctor. <laughs> right? So we we have that. But the, the, the set of scriptures that we're going to be covering today in the uh, book of Romans chapter one, as we continue our second series on uh, the gospel explained, this is where we really get to see where God lays out what our situation is. Right? And we know that God looks at sin pretty seriously, so serious that when Jesus gave his life for us, God had to take it because he chose to bear our sin. Amen. And today, this set of scriptures, it might be sobering for some of us, uh, and it should be, you know, especially in today's climate that we were just talking about with the coronavirus. There is a lot of fear, there's a lot of speculation, and whenever these things happen, people start to panic, right? And I've been getting emails or, you know, postings on Facebook where where folks are showing empty shelves of everybody buying toilet paper, (laughs) of all things. I'm like, is that going to cure the coronavirus? I guess. I don't know, but uh, that one's kind of curious. But it does cause some panic, right? So, what about our sin? You know, does our sin cause any panic in us? Is there any reality of the sin that we have before God? So as we enter into our study this morning, that's what I really want us to consider. Because the good news for us is that the gospel is our treatment for sin. Right? It cures it. One hundred percent. Amen? Right, doctors? One hundred percent. Not like some things that we have in the world today, we don't necessarily have a cure for everything. But God does. Amen? So without further ado, let us pray, and we'll begin reading our scripture. Father God, we thank you that you are so amazing and you are so good, that even beforehand, Lord God, you knew our condition. You had already prepared a way out for us, that you provided your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross for our sins so that we could be found righteous before you. So, Father, we ask that uh, your spirit interprets everything into our hearts perfectly this morning. And, Father, that these words that I speak today are yours and not my own. And, Father, we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So let's go ahead and start with our scripture. It's actually a a few sets of verses, so bear with us. In fact, uh, just kind of help me as I'm going to try to include you a little bit in this scripture. So let's begin reading in verse 18. It'll be through verse 32. So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by, by their unrighteousness suppress the? truth. Okay. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without? All right. For although they knew God, they did not? him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a... And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural relations of those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion one for another, men committing... Shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, and since they did not see fit to God, God gave them to a debased, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Yes. That is our situation, church. This is Paul laying out the beauty of the gospel, but we need to have something first, right? We've got to have the bad news. The bad news is our sin. And see, the need for the gospel is reflected in the situation with our sins. So the good news is not really that valuable, right? Unless we have the bad news. So yes, I've got your spiritual medical chart and mine. And I'm looking at the test results and unfortunately the numbers do not look good. Your condition is grave and so is mine. This is not like any of our normal trips to the doctor where we get there and we think this is just a routine checkup and the doctor comes back and sits us down and says, you know, we got a situation. I've been looking at the labs, they don't look good. And if you don't change some behaviors in your life, it could be terminal. Or he might even come back and say, it is terminal. But that is the situation that we are sitting in with our sin. Amen? It's terminal." It's not only terminal for this life, it's terminal for the second life. That's called the second death in the book of Revelation. So this is serious. But where there's seriousness, God also brings hope. So that's what I want to focus on this morning, is not just the seriousness, but how do we get to hope? And what is kind of revealed in between? So first and foremost, everybody in the whole world, is guilty before God. That's what we're reading this morning. I'm guilty. You are guilty. Everybody in your family is guilty. Everybody at your school and your workplace is guilty. And even the people... I'm sorry. uh, The clerk at the store is guilty. The bus driver is guilty. Your next-door neighbor is guilty. And all people in America, in Russia, China, Micronesia, and beyond are all guilty before God. Those in jail, they only got caught. Even the sweet lady on the corner who bakes cookies for the kids is guilty. And yes, again, the one standing before you is also guilty. There are none righteous, says the word, except one. So in this section, Paul is also revealing something else. He's revealing the fact that in verse 17, where Pastor Mark left off last week, and let me just read that to you again to remind you, for the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what other thing is he revealing? That faith alone is the only means of attaining the righteousness offered in the gospel. That everything that we just read through doesn't matter as long as you come to Christ and receive his offer by faith. So let's keep faith where it needs to be, first and foremost. And therefore, unbelief in the gospel is what makes us guilty. Our sin simply points to our unbelief. So unbelief reveals the wrath of God. It's not about a list of sins. No, it's only about one that we're really concerned about. It's that one sin, suppressing the truth in unbelief. Because unbelief calls God a liar. In 1 John chapter 5.10, John says, The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because since the truth about God has been suppressed by our sin, God's wrath is revealed by our sin. The fact that we sin and cannot stop is actually evidence that his wrath is justified. And his wrath against, is against the sin of unbelief, and unbelief is the foundation of all other sin. So if you look at the top of this diagram that I've put together, it's really kind of captures this whole section. And as we go through it, I want you to pay attention and, and kind of look at this as your reference. So if you see at the top, it says truth. That's the truth about God. You see in the background, you see his creation. It's visible. You can see it. But as we move into unbelief and sin, we begin to descend into darkness. We go through the list of things that Paul described in this section, and we end up in the point at the bottom down here where we can no longer really see God's creation. He is not revealed to us anymore because we choose to go down into darkness. Maybe we don't choose, but we choose the sin, and therefore we end up in darkness. You see, without the truth about our total guilt before God, there is no desperate need for our salvation. It's not urgent. It becomes something we can put off without any fear of judgment immediately. You see, this truth about God, his eternal power and divine nature, and the fact that he has forgiven us in Christ, if we deny that, if we don't believe that, that is the dishonoring of God. That's serious to God. And next, the truth of God is... So just like on the top, this whole thing is revealed in God's word because of everything that He created. For Psalm uh, 19, rather, verses one and two says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. You know, I find it amazing that you know we can go for hours and hours online and discuss with you know, atheists and all these other folks that want to challenge the reality of who God is with all this so-called evidence. <laughs> but God is saying, there's enough. The evidence is above your head, it's below your feet, it's all around you. It's, I have made it plain. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the, for the atheist who says, nope, God does not exist? Well, God has made it clear. He said, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Why? Because he has made it plain. It's not my fault or anybody's fault. Except the fact that unbelief will cause us to do foolish things, think foolish things, believe foolish things. And we end up denying the one thing that needs to be known. You know, I also think about little children. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. If we have, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to have the faith of a little child. And I think about when I was young, belief in God was not something that we really denied. It wasn't something that we really thought about. It was just natural. Yeah, but there's a God. We just kind of knew it. It was this default setting that we just knew that God was there. You know, I was talking with... uh, my wife, Cindy, this morning, and she was telling me how when she was a child, they used to run around and, and play after school when she was real little, and they would call for the rain because it was so hot, and they would know that the rain would come, and they would run around and, and actually you know, make a little song and, and calling to God to make it rain. And then they would just get excited when she said they would just begin to feel the first drops of rain and then they, because they love to go around and play in the mud and, and all that stuff. And, and it was just something that's, in, it, I think, that it's inherent in us as little children. And it's something that as we grow older, we find these crazy reasons to not believe anymore. You know, we look at life, and we look at the situations, and we look at the, the grave things across the world, the suffering and all this, and it's like, well, but I'm looking at all this evidence. To me, there can't be a God. But see, now we're moving into foolishness and we're moving into futility. So the knowledge of God's existence, since it's clearly seen, is what leaves us without an excuse. And next, unrighteousness hides the truth about God. The truth of God's existence is actually hidden by our lawless deeds. Whenever we choose to exercise our sin, We are showing the world that God does not exist. And that's the truth. Because we are showing that we don't think God exists. Because if God exists, Jesus said what? The righteous shall live by faith. Right? So by their fruits, Jesus also said, you will know them. And in some ways, God is actually saying, by their fruits, you will know me. See, church, whenever we choose to walk in righteousness and honor God, we are glorifying Him because we are showing Him in our lives. It's that simple. And when we choose to walk in unrighteousness, we are telling the world, we don't want you to see God in us. We just want to do what we want to do and we want to get away with it. And like those people in jail, they only got caught. But trust me, God is at the end of the line for each one of us. It doesn't matter what we get away with here. It matters what we see in our future and what we've given ourselves to. So Matthew 5.16 actually says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. For man to deny his existence and power and divine nature is to commit a crime worthy of eternal judgment. As Paul stated in verse 32, God's judgment is just, according to Paul, because such denial requires endless suppression of mountains of evidence to the contrary. And finally, unbelief results in futility. So futile, if you don't know what the word means, this is simply it. It's an adjective, and it means incapable of producing any useful result. It's pointless. It's these futile discussions about whether God exists or not. (laughs) That's kind of what I was gathering out of Paul's exhortation to us. Do we really need to sit around and, and talk about why we think God doesn't exist? Yeah, we can. But where does it end? It's pointless. Because God is going to show himself true to each one of us one day. We all have been held to an account to him personally, (laughs) you will stand before God one day and give an account for your life. It's futile for us to consider why God does not exist. And you see, futility, when you think about it, when we suppress that knowledge of who God is and the futility, it's actually idolatry. You see, idolatry is the replacement of God and the true knowledge of Him with any other inferior object of worship. This is where we exchange the truth of God for a lie, a refusal to love the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 and 12 declare, because they refuse to love the truth to be saved, therefore God sends them, A strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So church, you see, regardless whether it's gold statues, a counterfeit Jesus, even our own wisdom and understanding, it's believing the lie that something less than God can be trusted and worshipped as much as God. Nothing in all of creation can come close to his love, his grace, his power, his holiness, his glory, his authority, and his divine nature, and ultimately his provision for salvation. Nothing in this world can come close. And anything that we turn to is idolatry that we replace with God. And you see, futility justifies to us our disobedience to God. Continue, go to the next slide, please. So we are beginning to get deeper in this pyramid of unbelief. We've already exchanged it, and now God is beginning to deliver us over. You see, the fool, when he exchanges the truth, or the fool exchanges the truth for a lie. Therefore, God now gives him over to his sins, sins that God calls unnatural. The sin of homosexuality reveals simply our unbelief in God's design for sex. God designed sex to be enjoyed between a man and a woman under the blessing of marriage. But this is the most important part. It's designed to display his loving relationship with his bride, the church. This is why it's so valuable to God. This is why it should be valuable to us. We don't want to dishonor God By our behavior. And if continued, unbelief will lead to further ungodliness where sins progressively grow worse and worse to the point where we actually take pride in our ungodliness and we actually end up encouraging others to join us and do the same. And this is where Paul captures it, I think, in Philippians 3 18 and 19. He says, for many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. But church, this is not the end. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Thank God the gospel is revealed to us. Because if this was it, if that was the, the, the verdict, that's it. The gavel goes down and we go home and we never come back. You see, the power of God is revealed in the fact that that giving over is not meant to be permanent, though it can be if we choose to stay unrepentant. But this is the starting point for our need for the gospel. The whole world is in this condition by default. This is why the gospel is such good news. God's wrath is merciful, and it's therapeutic, and it doesn't have to be permanent. In other words, God gives people over so that they will experience the ruin of their sin and call out to Him for salvation. Salvation always becomes more valuable when we finally know that we cannot escape God's judgment without faith in the work of Jesus, that he died on the cross to save us and rose again on the third day for our justification. You see, church, lies lies always expire. The truth is always revealed. It's inevitable. Idols will always fall short, the dream dies, and the pain of sin reveals the truth. It often seems, though, doesn't it, that those who live the worst kind of lives are usually the first ones to come to Christ. I think God designed it that way. And those who appear to live moral lives typically are not interested in God's offer of salvation. But the beauty is, is again, we've got hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse nine and eleven, Paul also says many of these same things. He says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived: neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit." the kingdom of God. But here's the part that I like, this next verse, and such were some of you. <laughs> but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as we see here, the gospel is made clear to us as we continue this study in the book of Romans. This theme is going to continue, but I don't I don't want to uh, end it without declaring the gospel one more time. Romans 5, 8, and 9, which again we're going to be covering again, but we can't cover it enough. (laughs) But, see, this is what I like about God. Even though I've said all this nasty stuff about sin and unbelief, here's what I'm still going to do for you it's God's mercy. But God demonstrates His own love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel, church. Amen. God's mercy and grace are revealed in power when we see that He never intended for us to remain under His judgment or to walk in darkness. In Christ, He abundantly provides our way of escape. Let's pray. Amen. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you the opportunity for you to show your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. If the gospel has been made clear to you this morning, I don't want you to miss another second, another day, another week, another month, another year of fruitlessly, in futility, trying to justify your sin and trying to justify your unbelief. It will never happen. It's pointless and it will not end in what you think it's gonna be. Especially since God is offering you a gift of life. He said, don't even worry about all that stuff that's gone before. I stand before you today and offer you the gift of salvation. So I'm gonna pray in a moment, but. Before I do, I just would like to know who I'm going to be praying with. So if that's you, if you want me to pray with you this morning, then just slip up your hand so that I know that I'm praying with you. See that hand. God bless you. Thank you. See that hand. Thank you. God bless. See that hand. Thank you. See that hand over there. God bless you. Amen. See that hand. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. See that hand. Thank you. Amen. Praise you Jesus. Praise you Jesus. Any more? God, amen. See that hand? Praise you, Lord. If God's tugging on your heart just This is just you telling God, "I believe." It's not me. It's not about me. It's about you and God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We'll just go ahead and pray with me. And if you pray from your heart, the word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ has died for you, you will be saved. So just pray after me. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son to die for me. That my sin is now covered by his blood because I choose to believe that you sent him. Father, I repent of my unbelief and my sin, and I turn to you for righteousness and for salvation. I give my life to you as not just an offering, but I give it to you as though one who has died to my old life. And I give it to you so that you may resurrect in me the life that you have called me to live. That through time and discipleship, I will become what you have called me to be. And I pray this. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.